The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Great. Thank you so much. Well, it's really lovely to, to be with your family today. Uh, did you know that we're actually family? We're related? We actually do have a connection here with North Pine uh, that goes back a little while uh, because my wife is Alexia Buchanan and her first cousin is Dale Buchanan. Uh, so there's a bit of a, we're kind of extended family in a sense. I know Dale's out of Tent Hill now, but I reckon that kind of makes us, makes us family. In fact, there's only two ways to join a family. Either do what my three kids did and you're born into that family or you do what my fourth fur baby did, Candy, the dog, and you're adopted. One day we went down and we chose Candy to be our dog and to join our family. And those are the only two ways to get into a family. Either you're adopted or you're born into that family. And in fact, when you become a follower of Jesus, God actually does both for you. Did you know that? You're born again into the family of God. God becomes our father through uh, new birth, spiritual birth, born again. Uh, And we're also adopted into God's family because of Jesus uh, through the Holy Spirit we're adopted into the family of God. So that makes you and I family. We're part of God's family. In fact, in 1 Timothy uh, 3.15, the church is described as the oikos of God. Oikos, Greek word meaning household or home or family. And it's it's a word that doesn't refer to the buildings. It kind of refers to everything that goes on at our place. It's the oikos of God, the household of God, everyone together in our space, in our family. And that is the description of the church. God is our heavenly father, and we're part of one big extended family, the church of God. Now, at this point, you might be saying, look, Mark, that's great, but I already have a family. I have the family I was born into, you know, my family of origin, and I I have the family that I kind of started, you know. I've got my, my spouse and our kids and our cat and dog, and don't think you count goldfish as part of the family, I I don't anyway, but look, I already have a family, so I love the idea, we're all part of God's big family, that's great, you know, let's hold hands and go in a circle, But, but really, I already have a family, I have a family that I love, I have a family that I belong to, that I'm committed to, uh, my birth family, my family through marriage, like, love our family, we'd be pleased to know that that was the case for Jesus too. Jesus was born into a family. He had a mum, Mary. He had a stepdad, Joseph. He had uh, brothers and sisters, well, half-brothers and sisters, technically. By the time he's in his 30s, he probably had um, nieces and nephews too. He had aunties and uncles and cousins. Like, Jesus was part of a big extended family. He was the eldest son uh, in Mary and Joseph's family. And I want to go today at this part in the scripture in Mark chapter 3 where we have this awkward family moment. There's this moment where Jesus is out doing his thing and his family comes uh, to take him home because they think he's crazy. And it's this really awkward moment, but God is going to use it today, I think, this is why it's in our Bible, to teach us about what it truly means to belong to a family Uh, So it's Mark chapter 3. I'm going to have it up on the screen too, but if you have a Bible in front of you, I'd love you to have it open in Mark 3. By the time you get to Mark chapter 3, Jesus' ministry is up and going. 
He's been teaching, he's called some disciples, he's performed miracles, he's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, he's already challenging religious leaders, and his fame is growing across the land. Jesus is getting some profile. People think he might be someone, a teacher. He might even be the one, a prophet, a long-promised prophet. Jesus has his ministry that's growing, uh, and his family find out about it, and they come to take him home. This is Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Isn't that a sad day when you're like, oh, if the food's right here, I'm so hungry. Come on, guys, let's have our, our dinner. And then the party turns up, and you get crowded out, and you don't even get to have your dinner. That's tough. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Jesus' family finds out, sorry, he's doing what? Jesus is where? He's saying what? Oh my goodness. Jesus is teaching people, a crowd is gathering, he's, he's performing miracles, he's, his fame and stature is, is growing, like, who does he think he is? And they come to take him home that they come to you know, put a blanket around his shoulders and to take him home in shame and embarrassment because he's having an episode, right? That's what they think's going on. They come to take him home. And just then, uh, some religious leaders turn up and they challenge Jesus' source of authority. They think he's using Satan's power to do God's work. And this is what Jesus says, verse 22, in response. Some teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in parables. Now, it doesn't say this here, but I think he kind of means like, you guys, guys, come on. Started to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Jesus is saying, guys, if I'm using Satan's power to cast out Satan, that's like punching myself in the face. It makes no sense. I'm fighting against myself. As if, I would, as if Satan would be driving out Satan, as if Satan would be fighting against himself. That's ridiculous. The only way to overcome the enemy is you have to tie them up, take control of the situation. You've got to dominate them. You've got to take charge. That's what Jesus is saying. Very truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all of their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. They're accusing Jesus of doing the devil's work. Now, when you do that, when you look at God's work and look at God and say, you're evil, essentially what you're doing is you're like the diver who's walking on the floor of the ocean with the big round helmet and the pipe that goes up to the boat, you know, that pumps up the air. When you say oh, well, that's the devil's work and it's actually God's work. It's kind of what you're doing is like you're cutting your air supply, right? You're cutting yourself off from the only thing that can lead you to repentance, and that is the Holy Spirit. 
You're looking at the good spirit of God and saying that's evil. And that's, that's the unforgivable sin. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to look at God and accuse him of being evil. And in doing so, you won't accept his offer of grace and salvation because you're cutting yourself off from him. You're closing yourself to the only thing that can save you. This is Jesus' point. Verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus' family comes to take him home. You know, Jesus is here at the lectern. He's preaching a word. He's you know, addressing the uh, religious leaders. He's in full flight. You know, he's commanding the situation, performing miracles, teaching God's word, standing up to the religious leaders who are oppressing what God wants to do. And then, sorry, who? My mum's here. My brothers, are, my brothers and sisters are here. Sisters are here. Like they've come to take Jesus home. Like they've come in, in like shame and embarrassment about what Jesus is doing. Like they cannot believe that he's dragging their family name through the mud like this. That he's acting in such an outlandish way. And they come to take him home because they think he's crazy. And I picture the moment, like Jesus there at the lectern, you know, commanding, and they kind of come, put the blanket around his shoulders. Sorry, everybody, Jesus, he's, he's, he's not well. He's not right today. I'm really, really sorry. We're going to take him home now. And Jesus kind of, you know, whimpers off with a blanket around his shoulder, taken home by his mum and his dad. Like, that's what they've come to do. So how does Jesus respond? Does he stand back? Does he put the blanket around his shoulders? No. In verse uh, 33 we read, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is a brother and sister and mother. Jesus essentially says, you're my family. You're my brothers and my sisters and my mothers. But the plural thing doesn't work so well, just go with it. You're my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Like, what is Jesus doing? Like, is he just the masterful politician who realizes here there's a moment for his campaign, you know, where he can turn this thing around and he can say to all of his followers, whoever's on my side is like family to me. Like, is it spin? Is it PR? Is Jesus just a marketing genius and he hijacks the situation to uh, bolster his case, to strengthen his campaign to be someone in, in Israel? No, it's not a political stunt. In fact, what is, what is happening here is something that is quite profound. And actually, it's a, it's a bit shocking, to be honest. One of the scholars I was reading said, if uh, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus says, whoever does God's will is family to me, if those verses don't shock you, you haven't understood them. Jesus is doing something here that is profound. It's an absolute game changer. You see, Jesus, he, the reason why Jesus' words are so scandalous, so challenging, so you know, paradigm shifting, 
is because in Jesus' day, family was everything. Family was everything. They were a family unit-based culture. Often multiple generations would live in one house together. Usually you'd go into business, in the family business, like Jesus was a carpenter, like his stepdad Joseph. Families were so connected, multiple generations living together, all in business together. Aunties and uncles all nearby. Big enmeshed uh, family. A close family bond was everything. It was the way that you showed God you loved him. The way to be a good Jew, you had to do three things. You had to observe the Sabbath. You had to follow the law, particularly the ceremonial law around food. And you had to be a good family member. You showed your love to God by the way you belonged to your family. Your family, your clan, your tribe, Israel. That was the way you were a good Jew. Everything was centered around family. The way you were faithful to God was through belonging to a family. Family, uh, connected family was the basis of social life. It was the basis of economic life. And it was the basis of religious life. We, we kind of don't have that in Australia. See, in, in, in our culture, if you said to me, well, Mark, who are you? I would say, well, I'm, I'm me. I'm whoever I want to be. I can do whatever I want. I can decide who I am. I can create my own identity. Um, I am my goals, uh, my achievements, uh, my personality, my, uh, my history. Like all, like we're so individualistic. We have a hyper-individualistic culture. You can customize everything to suit us. We're a hyper-individualistic culture. The Jewish culture is the opposite of that. If you ask a, a Jew... Who are you? They would say, well, my father was Joseph, his father before him, his father before him, and they would share their genealogy back generations and generations and generations. They would talk about their family, their tribe, their belonging. The whole way they made sense of who they were was within the context of the family of God. Their, 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 um, their family, their biggest extended family. So for Jesus to come and say, flying in the face of everything that they've been taught about family, Jesus turns up and says, whoever does God's will is family to me. While his mum and brothers and sisters are standing there, blanket ready, right? It's shocking. It seems like Jesus is saying family doesn't matter. In a culture where family matters more than anything, it's a shame-based culture, the worst thing you can do is bring dishonor to your family. That is bringing dishonor to God. It seems like Jesus is saying family doesn't matter, but that's not what he's saying. In fact, if you read uh, the teaching of Jesus, you see over and over and over, he affirms um, faithful belonging to a family. He says family responsibility matters. Being loyal to your family matters. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Jesus never dismissed his family responsibility. He, um, he's harsh on those who try to wiggle out of their family responsibility. Remember Matthew 7 where they say, oh, I'm sorry, I've dedicated this money to God so I can't use it to help my aging parents. And Jesus slams them for it. He um, sends the um, demoniac back to his family after he's delivered him from the evil spirits. He always condemns divorce. He never diminishes the commandments to honor your mother and father. Uh, plus, on the cross, 
Jesus looks at his mum and the apostle John and says, John, take care of my mum. Mum, take care of John. He's thinking about the well-being of his mum even at his most horrific moment on the cross. So family matters to Jesus. Your biological family matters to Jesus. Jesus never goes against what the Bible teaches, Old Testament teaches around uh, loyalty and faithfulness to family. So what is going on here? How can Jesus say, whoever does God's will is family to me, without dishonoring his mum and brothers and sisters who have come to take him home? Why is this so shocking? How is this a game changer? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying there is now a new primary place of belonging. Belonging to the family of God supersedes belonging to your biological family. Jesus is saying the place of belonging, the primary place where you say this is who I am is not in your birth family or the family you created, but is as a member of the family of God in worship of your heavenly father. Jesus says the place where you belong more than anywhere is in God's family. Jesus is saying your loyalty is to God's family, the family of God, the church, above any other group, even your biological family. The, the place where you compromise, if you're going to disappoint anybody, it shouldn't be the Lord, it shouldn't be God, and by extension, his family. So loyalty matters um, to God's family matters most. So you should be more loyal, this is what Jesus is saying, you should be more loyal to, to the, your heavenly father and his family than your nationality, your uh, tribe, your gender, your age group, your sporting club, your political allegiance, whether you're Team Coke or Team Pepsi, right? Whatever group you say, I'm part of this group, that now is subservient to doing God's will. Because Jesus says, whoever does my Father's will is family to me. Loyalty to God trumps loyalty to anyone or anything else. The Christian life is life under God as Father. Therefore, by extension, part of his family, brothers and sisters. Nothing supersedes your relationship with God. Not a sporting club. Like, his sporting club still matters. But not as much as belonging to the family of God. Your ethnic group still matters. Your heritage, cultural heritage still matters. But not as much as belonging to the family of God. Being Australian still matters, especially during the ashes, right? <laughs> but not as much as belonging to the family of God. Your friendship circle, your social connections, your work friends, all those, your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac, all those things matter, but not as much as belonging to the family of God. This is Jesus' point. To say that another way, we're more than family. We're more than family. Family still matters. But what happens is Jesus says from this point forward, there's something that is even greater than family, greater than biological family, and that's your spiritual family. Family doesn't get diminished. It just gets superseded. The church is more than family. It's above and beyond family. When, Je when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is the thing that matters more than anything else. Love and devotion to your heavenly Father. Then, love your neighbor as yourself. 
I think part of what, God, what Jesus is saying in those commands is that loyalty to God first supersedes loyalty to everything else. Devotion to God is more important than devotion to anything else. Again, we see this in Luke 14, the same, the same principle. Uh, Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, importantly here, hate doesn't mean like loathe. Hate here means non-preferred. The thing you don't choose. So you could say that because I chose Alexia to be my wife almost 20 years ago, I hate every other woman on earth because I didn't choose them. I chose her, right? Jacob, I loved Esau and I hated. That's, that's, that's not about not, not loving Esau because God desperately loves Esau, loved Esau. But it's about who do I choose? Where's my loyalty? Where's my allegiance? And Jesus is saying in that passage, you have to put God first. You, you can't say, I'm sorry, Jesus, but this person or that situation or that group matters more than you. Jesus says you haven't understood what it means to belong to the family of God if you still think like that. So we're more than family, which means whenever there's a clash, a clash of values, a clash of expectations, you have to choose, am I going to disappoint God and his family or am I going to disappoint the other group I belong to. Let me give you some examples. Take money, for example. Say your extended family are um, not followers of Jesus and they find out that you give a minimum of 10% to the church as part of your love and devotion to God. They go, what? The church takes your money? You shouldn't be doing that. I mean, think interest rates are going up, like cost of living. Shouldn't you be saving for your retirement? Like you should stop giving to the church. They're just ripping you off and you should, you know, do what, you should do this with your money instead. And you have to say to them, I'm sorry, but no. I don't care what you think when it comes to where my money should go because I care more about what God thinks than what you think. And I'd rather disappoint you than disappoint him. Or take raising your kids, you know. Our culture says you should do whatever you can to give your kids whatever they want so that their life will be uh, absolutely easy and full of pleasure and fun and joy. If they want it, give it to them. Every experience, every, every object, every streaming service. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says discipline your children. Teach them to be content. Right? There's a clash. There's a clash. And you have to say, you know, like if you're in my case and you've got younger children, to say to your parents, if they, if they weren't Christian, I'm sorry, mum and dad, but No. You can't give your kids, you can't give our kids 500 bucks for their birthday. We're not going to, we're not going to, I know, I know, right? We're not going to let that happen because it's not good for them to have a $500 present. We're trying to teach them uh, to follow Jesus, right? So there's a clash. Or take sex, for example. Um, Our our world says you should uh, learn about yourself. You should have multiple partners. You should make, definitely make sure you're compatible with somebody sexually before you get married to them. And the only way to do that is to try before you buy. So our culture would say you should have as uh, wider experience as you can, providing you don't get a disease or unwanted pregnancy. That's the way to have a fulfilling sex life as a young person. 
you know? You should have sleepovers with your girlfriend when you're 17. And if you're trying to follow Jesus, you say, I'm sorry, no. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think we're old-fashioned or that our marriage is going to be, you know, unfulfilling or whatever, but we'd rather disappoint you and please our Heavenly Father by living a life of purity and self-control than make you think we're doing the right thing. You see what I'm talking about? There will be times over and over and over again where there will be a clash of values or a clash of expectations and you'll have to decide, am I going to disappoint my Heavenly Father and the, His family, the church? Am I, am I going to cave on that or am I going to disappoint whoever else it is, even if it's your family? Church is more than family. Okay, th- I've got three big implications for this. Here we go. Th- three big things that come out of Jesus saying, whoever does God's will is family to me. First of all, you have a home. You have a home. If you grew up in the most dodgy and dysfunctional and broken family, you have a home in the family of God. If, if, your, if your dad was the worst dad ever, or your mum was the worst mum ever, if you felt neglected or overlooked or harshly treated or unloved or pushed aside or abused or neglected, no matter what you went through in your family of origin, you now have a home in the family of God. You have brothers and sisters. You have aunties and uncles. You have grandmas and granddads. You have nieces and nephews. That's what it means to belong to the family of God. There was a lady in my church on the, um, on the Bayside named um, Adele. And Adele was in her mid-70s. She lived about 400 meters from my house. And I said to her, Adele, I'm going to be angry with you if you don't phone me up when you need help. I'm serious. I'm big and strong. I'm tall. I can even change a light bulb without a ladder, right? I want to look after you. If your bin's too heavy for you to put out, phone me. And she said to me, you know, Mark, you're like a son to me. And I said, I know, that's the whole point. You're like a mum to me too. I say mum rather than grandma, she was in that grey zone, you know. <laughs> you're like a mum to me. And I said, I'm going to be mad if, if you need help and you don't phone me. Because I'm taking responsibility for you. Another day I was at church and uh, my collar was kind of sticking up at the back a bit. And there was uh, one of the ladies, um, Carolyn, came across and she just fixed my collar for me, straightened it all up, pushed it down nicely. And I turned around, and there were about 10 of her friends, you know, these older ladies, who just all went <laughs> to me. And I went across to them and I said, I love this. I love that you feel so comfortable to come up to the senior pastor and touch his shirt. And then she got all embarrassed. I said, no, 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 Carolyn, this is beautiful. This is what it's supposed to be like in the family of God. You guys are like... My big sisters, that's even better by the way, don't go grandma, don't go mum, go big sister. You guys are like my big sisters or my young auntie. No matter what you've been through in your family, no matter how dark and dodgy it is, no matter how lonely you you felt in your biological family, your blood family, you belong to the family of God. There is a place for you. You belong. And you have a role to play. We expect each other to be contributing members of our family don't we if you're here and you're a, you're a young fella you've got to be a great son to mums and dads in the church if you're here and you're an older gentleman 
You need to be a great granddad or big brother or uncle. Each of us have a role to play. We're part of the family of God. That's the first thing. You have a home. The second thing, it makes no sense to be casual about God's family, to be inconsistent and sketchy in your attendance. That makes no sense if church is more than family. Like, imagine I didn't go home this afternoon to my house when my, my family's expecting me. I didn't go home, and then I turned up a month later, like a month from today, I turn up. And I walk into my kitchen, and I you know, make myself a cup of coffee, and my wife walks in, drops the shopping, and says to me, where have you been? And I say, oh, um, oh sorry, babe, I guess, uh, I guess I've been busy, uh, busy recently, um, so I guess I haven't been around much at family. Um, she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, well, it's been a bit cold in the mornings, uh, so I kind of haven't really been part of family much for the last month. What? Well, babe, it's football season. Like, you know me, I always miss family for football season. She'll look at me and say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You can't just come and go whenever you feel like it at family. That's not how it works. You belong. You're part of it. We love you. We missed you. You can't just drift in and out. Imagine if I said, oh, I'm sorry, I've been um, not around much the last couple of months. I've actually been visiting other families. I don't know. I'm just feeling like maybe this family is not my family anymore. It makes no sense. If Jesus is right, and if we take him seriously when he says, whoever does God's will is brothers and sisters to me, you are now part of the household of God, the family of God, a supernatural family that surpasses any other in terms of loyalty, allegiance, belonging. If that's true, it makes no sense to be casual and sketchy and inconsistent about your involvement in the church family. It makes no sense. The early church, it would make no sense to them. Uh, Teaching of the Bible, it makes no sense. This is a place for you to belong. It's God's heart that you'd become more connected in this family. You'd be more faithful, a more faithful member of this family. So first of all, you have a home. No matter what you've been through, there is a group of people you can call mum and dad, auntie and uncle, brothers and sisters. You have a place to belong. Secondly, it makes no sense to be casual about church family. And the last one, third one, we have to make room for others to join the family. You know Luke 15, the parables of the lost things? A woman who loses a coin. This is metal. She turns the house upside down, searching for this lost coin. And when she finds it, there's a disproportionate, out-of-control party to celebrate the lost coin. I don't know about you, but if I lose 10 bucks in my pocket and I find it two months later, I'm like, oh, sweet, 10 bucks. That's cool. I don't invite my friends over and have a massive party. But she did. Then we have the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd who leaves the 99 found sheep to go after the one lost sheep. Because every lost sheep matters. Every lost sheep has a name. Every lost sheep is important. And then, of course, we have the climax of this, the one story, the lost son, where God is pictured as a lovesick father who's waiting at the gate hoping and praying and dreaming that his lost son will come home. No matter where they've been or what they've done, he just desperately wants him to come home. 
The son comes home, tries to apologize, doesn't even get the words out because his father is hugging him and kissing him and loving him and clothing him and blessing him, welcoming him. That's God's heart. Jesus tells that story for us so that we would understand that our father is on a mission to get his lost children back in the family. He's desperate for it. He's a lovesick father who's getting his family back together. We have to make room. We have to make room for lost brothers and sisters to find their home in the family of God here. We can't be insular. We can't be focused on our own comfort, our own personal preferences. It's not how you do family. We have to be prepared to give up our bedrooms and sleep on the floor. We have to be prepared to say, no, 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 you sit there. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's God's heart. We have to make space in our family so that others can find their way back to God. We've got to be open. We've got to be prayerful. We've got to be inviting. We've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, go where he goes, follow his lead, listen to his voice. And we've got to welcome those that come. It was really beautiful to be here this morning. I've got to say, from before I even got out of the car park, it was a beautiful, warm welcome. I think, I think this, is, this is who you are at North Pine. I think this is, our, this is the church family here. You actually are a welcoming family. And I believe that God's going to bring lost children home. We got to look for them, we invite them, and then they find a family, find a home in the family of God. Can I pray for you? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we have a place to call home, that the church is not a building or an event or a live stream. Lord, the church is a place for our heart to call home. It's family. It's a place to belong, a place to be real, a place to be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened. And Lord, I just thank you so much for what you've done to create the greatest place on earth, the church, the family of God, where we have one Father, one Savior, one baptism, we preach one gospel, we have one Holy Spirit. We started this beautiful family, Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for each person here that when the challenge comes, when we are pressured to compromise our allegiance or belonging or devotion, to you, God, and your, your church, that we would hear the words of Jesus and be reminded that we're more than family. Lord, and I pray that there'd be many people who would find their way back to you, find their way into this church family here at North Point. The lost would come home, that they'd be welcomed with open arms, they would be hugged and kissed and blessed and fed and clothed and just warmly welcomed back into the family. We believe, Lord, that you're on a God, your God is on a mission. The gospel is the story of a lovesick father desperately trying to get his family back together. We thank you for including us in that wonderful story. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, 
visit npbc.org.au.